Welcome to Van Lathan's The Red Pill, where we give you the brutal reality of truth. Today's guest, Cliff Curtis. He is an actor from New Zealand, a Kiwi actor, that you've seen. You've seen Cliff Curtis in a many different things. Uh, he has been in such movies as Training Day, which he was great in Training Day. You guys remember from Training Day. He, uh, in Training Day, he was Smiley. Remember when Ethan Hawke? Ethan Hawke saved his cousin and then Smiley let him go. Smiley gets Smiley gets love from all the homeboys. Y'all know him, man. He played Pablo Escobar in Blow. The guy has a fantastic career going on right now. Live Free or Die Hard, 10,000 BC, The Last Airbender. Um, Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. We talk a little bit about that. He's going to play The Rock's um, brother in that. And he's in Avatar 2 and 3. Now, he has his own career going, which is great. But he's here to talk about a fantastic documentary uh, that he produced along with the people um, over at Array. Uh, shout out to Ava DuVernay and uh, Tulane over at Array uh, uh, about Mirita, uh, Mirita Mita. She's a, uh, she was, shall I say, rest in peace, um, uh, an incredibly important filmmaker down in New Zealand where Cliff Curtis is from. They are from the same indigenous tribe. We're going to talk about the struggles of indigenous people around the world. Now, this is something that we don't really delve into. Uh, here as black people or as oppressed people in any land, we tend to think of our problems as being paramount. And they are to us and our communities and we will fix them. But what you have to understand, not just here, but all over the world, there are indigenous people that are suffering right now. Uh, we talk about it in this, in, in this podcast a little bit. And that at some point, beyond, uh, above, should I say, north of the Rio Grande here in America, there were between 15 and 20 million indigenous people. There are now less than half a million. That, my friends, is called genocide. And everywhere you look, there are uh, indigenous people that are fighting for their identity, fighting for their culture, fighting for their land, fighting for their language. And Cliff who is indigenous, is going to tell us a little bit about this through the lens of this fantastic documentary uh, that he was a part of um, about a really revolutionary filmmaker who took up uh, the cause of, uh, of her people and put it on the screen for everyone to see. I hope that everybody will go out and see the documentary after we talk about it. But more than that, I hope that people can realize the common threads uh, between the indigenous people where Cliff is from in New Zealand and... Uh, the experience that um, some of my brothers and sisters have had over here uh, in America and maybe even some of the experiences of Native American people um, and what they've gone through since they were slaughtered um, by Western European colonizers. Um, Cliff is great. We talk about a lot more stuff than that. Dude's been in a lot of movies, some of my favorites. So pop some pills, get into Cliff Curtis. It was a really fantastic conversation. Uh, now, over the last couple of weeks, there has been uh, a conversation going on in America because of things that are going on in Missouri, Georgia, and Alabama. This conversation is about the reproductive rights of our sisters, the women um, of society. It's been very chilling and horrific, sort of some of the laws that have been passed in uh, Alabama, uh, the recent uh, law that was signed into effect by Governor uh, Kay Ivey um, is essentially an abortion ban. Of course, you guys are all aware of it now. Oh, you guys are aware of the in and outs of it. Uh, it it's been talked about and re-talked about. Uh, for me personally, I looked at this, and this is going to sound very, very triggering to some of the women out there, but for the first time, I realized how alone our sisters are. And when I say sisters, I mean women, period. Um, when I look at the fact that this legislation is already through, it's already signed into law, not in action yet, but signed into law, it made me understand, it contextualized for me, uh, just how a woman's body is beholden to the swipe of a pen stroke. Consider that. Consider not being respected enough uh, in your own society to where you have agency, control over your own body. That someone else thinks that it's better for society that they tell you what you can do with you. Wild. 
could just wild. The more I thought about it, the more it dawned on me that I have zero idea how to help women. I don't know what I need to do. Uh, we talk about empowering women. We talk about changing their circumstances. We're talking about be, we talk about being allies for women and, and trying to be there for them when they need us. But I don't even really know what that looks like. I have no clue what, it, what I need to do. So I had a moment. I decided to do something that men have had problems doing since the beginning of time. I asked for directions. I got in touch with five different women I know, and I asked a simple question. What do I need to do to help women? How can I be of service to you? What is it that you need? I'm not gonna share the answers that I got because the answers were all different, but they were all incredibly useful. What I am going to share with my brothers and with men who are more concerned with uh, how women are being treated in this society than they are about um, protecting the fragility of their male ego or protecting uh, the <laughs> um, privileges that their privilege gives them. What I would say to those men is when you're sitting around trying to figure out what is it that you're going to do, ask a woman. Ask a woman in general what it is that she needs from you. Ask her what it is that she wants from you. In anything, ask a woman. This isn't pandering. This isn't me playing to the crowd. This is me very simply admitting I don't know what it's like to dance in those shoes. So I needed somebody who could contextualize it for me. And it was enlightening. And it was easy to do. I know as, as, as fellows, sometimes we feel like it's our job to come up with answers and it's our job to save society and it's our job to, to go forth and make a better world. Yo, we're not doing that good of a job of that. It's time to empower some new ideas and you have to do it intentionally. You have to do it purposefully. You have to have a plan to go out and do it. You can't stand in a line with all of your sisters and speak for them. You can't stand in a line with all of your sisters and sometimes even speak with them. Sometimes all you do is take that gigantic microphone, megaphone that you've been given, being a man in this society, and hold it up to her lips. Then give it to her. And get the fuck to the back. Try following and empowering. Because if we don't, if we don't make these platforms, these issues, um, these concerns paramount in society, not afterthoughts, but paramount in society, you're going to see egregious, what I think, human rights violations that like what happened in Alabama, in Georgia, uh, and in Missouri, they're going to happen everywhere. And they're going to happen to all different types of women. Now, you might not agree with me. Uh, and that's okay. I guess you think that a woman doesn't have a right to her body. We can debate it um, all, all we want. But while we debate it, while we talk about it, while we post about it, there are going to be abortions happening. There are going to be young women who are tearing up their insides to get rid of pregnancies that they don't want. Some pregnancies that come uh, by way of rape and incest. And they're going to die. If you can be okay with that, that's you. I can't. I don't have the answers, but I know who does. A lady somewhere. And by the way, in closing, I'll say that's been true my entire life. My dad had a lot of directions, and I would take those directions for him. But when I needed an answer, my whole life has been 1-800-DOLLAR-BLACK-LADY. And I don't know how in my life now I forgot that. I don't know how I forgot the wisdom of my grandmother, how I forgot the wisdom of my mother, how I forgot the wisdom of my aunties, how I forgot that. Where did that stop? Not going to stop anymore. Um, I'm over it. 
uh, that's why I will say, go diving to Cliff Curtis. We're gonna talk about Young Guns too and Crocodile Dundee too in this podcast, which is fucking fantastic to me. Those are two movies that if you haven't seen them, stop listening to this podcast right now. Go out, listen to Young Guns too. Uh, excuse me, watch Young Guns too. Watch Crocodile Dundee too. Crocodile Dundee too itself. Brilliant fucking movie. Underrated, man. Pop some pills. Let's get into Cliff Curtis. Bye. Sorry, white people clap for Cliff Curtis. <laughs> I don't mean that's to. That's what we make the white people clap every show. Because inside this room, it's kind of what we do. <laughs> all right. Um, so so all right. we're here. Uh, first of all, I would be um, as big of a cinephile as I am. Yeah. I'd be remiss to have you here and not tell you how big of a fan I am. Thank you. Uh, it, like... Various different roles that you've been in. Um, for me, obviously, Training Day, uh-huh. huge one. Smiley. Uh, Smiley, that's a, yes, that's a huge one right there. Uh, Blow. Pablo Escobar. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like problems. Um, <laughs> the whole deal, like, you've had an amazing career. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that has, and you've been in so many different things. Because when I like when I started I telling children, people, they need to be fed. <laughs> well, I started telling yeah. people that you were coming up. Everybody named a different role. Everybody named a different role. Yeah. Um, but now you're. It seems as if you're involved in more of the filmmaking side of it. You're taking a step behind the camera. Is that something that you've oh, always I done? Started doing that nearly twenty years ago. Really? But I keep it down on the low, and I just like do it quietly and trying to get the job done, get the work done. I don't cast myself any of those things I produce. You know, some of the earliest stuff I did was with a guy called Taika Waititi. Okay. He's kind of... Thor Ragnarok. Right, yeah. So I produced A fantastic his, filmmaker. Yeah, so I produced his earlier films, short films, and first couple of feature films. Wow. Yeah, back in New Zealand. So I was like, but, you know, we went to Sundance, and, and I had to, you know, I was putting together marketing distribution and things like that, and and, and, then, and the financing. So it was good. Wow, amazing. And so now, what we're here to talk about is... A fantastic documentary mm, yeah thank um, you um about someone that <laughs> i didn't even realize how who was so important to me uh it's so important <laughs> to me to, I, <laughs> I really didn't so why don't you tell us a little bit about the project itself and how you became involved it's about this uh this incredible woman who was part of my life as a mentor and, and a guide and kind of like a motherly figure and she was a filmmaker and a documentary maker and a storyteller and uh, she had this fierce intellect. She was incredibly courage and amazing clarity and she came from this well of love for humanity and her children. So the documentary, it's, uh, what's interesting about it, what's unique about it is the, the, the filmmaker is her youngest son. Yes. And when she passed, um, I approached him to make a documentary about his mother and he'd never made a documentary before and I knew stories about her that he didn't know and mm. he was kind of he had this amazing experience of learning about his mother's life like you right. there's this incredible woman that has been working incredibly hard to help underrepresented storytellers to tell their stories she's been doing it all around the world mm-hmm. and uh, it's about her journey and all of the obstacles she's she's faced as a woman with children being a mother and being a storyteller and taking on issues that uh, no one else has the courage to step up to right what struck me about the documentary watching it, we should say the name of the documentary for people out there. Merata. that's Merata. her name Merata. Merata. Yep. how um, mom decolonized the screen that the second part of that title is something i'm gonna get into because we had someone else uh a great filmmaker, Blitz Ambassador here. Wow, here. Right, yeah, right, Blitz, right, yeah. And Blitz talked about the need to decolonize film um, in Africa. There and it, it is, yeah. And, and, and so when we talk about the, the, the struggles or the goals of people, what struck me about this, this documentary actually is how similar those things are all over the globe. Yeah, no, it's the same. It's the same system, right? Know? It's the same Babylon system. You know, it's like it's the same system that we are all. Uh, you know, because this is New Zealand that we're talking about. You're talking now. about New Zealand, yeah. Right? So you would think, oh, New Zealand, what your Lord of the Rings or whatever you know, think you know about New Zealand or what you don't know about New Zealand, you wouldn't think that these issues that we are exploring in our small little tiny nation at the end of the globe are relevant to the rest of the world. But we're touring this film and we're getting a, a beautiful response from the likes of Ava DuVernay at Array mm-hmm. and her amazing team. They've picked it up and they're helping distribute sure. this and reach an audience. Well, we've, tra- we've gone to New York, Sundance, uh, you know, Berlin. It's like we're, we're London and we've just had this amazingly overwhelming emotional response yeah. to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's all about our life and takes part like uh, in different phases as life often does. Earlier on, when it, it talks about some of the struggles um, or some of the 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 the, uh, the the background of her life, her family life, some of the struggles she had, the her children, faced, the obstacles yeah. that she that she faced, and then when you get into her filmmaking, you start seeing someone that was very driven uh, by an idea of humanity and equality that seemed to kind of ground her films. Like there was stuff that she was doing anti-apartheid stuff. She was on the front line. She was like- On she, the front line. On the front line. You see, that and if you watch this documentary, there'll be a mass riot going on. With at, a, like, at the rugby. These, yeah. You know, with these sports events, these mass riots yeah. in New Zealand, which you think, that would that happen in New Zealand? Right. And then you'll see her right there in the mix, like right in the front line with a camera. Right. Uh, you know, and she was just so courageous that way. Mm. Um, and then there were these uh, indigenous protests that happened, you know, as a, and then the, again, they were, you know, forcibly, the, the native people were forcibly removed from their land mm -hmm. that they had every right to be at. So basically the government broke their own laws. Right. Because they wanted the land to develop into sort of private gated communities. Right. And they just like didn't recognize the rights of the indigenous people that lived there. Right. But there she was again, right in the front line, like just right up front with the cameras, you know, taking on, yeah. you know, the army and the police. And she was just, and if you, I, I don't know, I want you to watch the documentary to really get the full hit. Have you seen the documentary? Yet? I did watch it. Wow, yeah. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. It's incredibly powerful stuff. And it, it hits home for me something that I've, it's just weirdly that I've been, um, it's the plight of indigenous people. Um, like we talk about, uh, there's so many different things culturally and socially that we all deal with. I think a lot of times we forget about, like I think it's said in the documentary, over 1 billion indigenous people all over the world and the things that they go through. Mm. Like here in America, I'm a black man. Yeah, um, you are. And, and, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So as a black man, it's, it, it, there's been so much historically that's gone on involving my people and the people in my community mm -hmm. that I forget about the treatment of indigenous people here and the treatment of indigenous people all over the world mm -hmm. and just how some of those common threads go and just watching this documentary, uh, even listening to her son talk about something that a police officer did to him Oof. when he was outside of his own home. Oh yeah. Yo, that happened to me. To you, yeah, nah. like that, like that. That same thing mm. happened to me, and mm. knowing that there are people all over the world that are going through that same mm. thing, and that there was a woman that was there documenting that, it's like I really feel like this is a very important discussion to have. Well, it's a systemic problem, and it's global, and it's really a system that you know devalues humanity. Mm. You know, and I think that's what, you know, and it's it's timeless because these are things she was dealing with like 30, 30 40 years ago. Yeah, you know, it's like. And when you watch it, it's as if it was yesterday. It was right. if it was today, and it was if it was in your own backyard. And you're right. relating to this, so it's your it's your own personal story. Right. And that's a tragedy for humanity that we that we uh, you know that we don't have a way to sort of understand the context of the society within which we live. Which is why I'm so impassioned to bring this filmmaker to the attention of people like yourself to right. to, to help ground those stories and give a context because. Uh, 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 you know, it's it's a shame when when we have suffered those atrocities personally, and and then it, it creates this frustration and this anger. And where do you put it? And what she does, she put it actively into into bringing light on the situation, mm -hmm. and to to you know ultimately the. There's lots of forms of storytelling and they're all relevant. There's light entertainment, there's comedy, there's action, you know, there's wish fulfillment. But the most powerful form of storytelling in my mind is a story that's told with love and with passion to help make society a better place for our future generations and yeah. to encourage us to change what we see as wrong in our society. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And also something that makes you feel a part of something. Right. And it, it, it's weird because there's so many images and I don't want to give too much of the documentary away because I really want people to see the documentary. But there's one specific, it, where I'm from in Baton Rouge, mm. a couple of years ago, a gentleman named Alton Sterling was, was killed. Mm. And there were riots, or excuse me, no, there weren't any riots. There were demonstrations. There it is. <laughs> right, there were no riots. There was zero riots. There were demonstrations and people assembled in order to deal with uh, the hurt and the concerns that they had with the Baton Rouge Police Department. Right. And there's an image from this documentary, I'm getting chills right now, that is straight 
off the streets of Baton Rouge. Yeah. There's an image of a confrontation between the police, I think it was down there in New Zealand, yeah. um, and some, some demonstrators that is the exact same thing. It's the same it's thing. It's the same thing, exactly. And so when I'm watching that, I'm, I'm related to it, and I, it's making me think about just how much out there uh, I don't know about in terms of people struggle. Now you yourself, you're you're uh, an, an indigenous person of uh, Maori. We're Maori. We're the indigenous race from New Zealand. New, yeah. New Zealand. Did you experience any of these same struggles growing up? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he goes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as a young man, it's like I was like I was angry, but I didn't know why. I didn't know where to put that anger because it was like as I was reflected back as a statistic, it's like I shouldn't be here talking to you right now. Right. You know, this incredibly powerful woman shouldn't have achieved what she achieved. She shouldn't have done what she'd done. Right. But it's like um, you know, I was really confused by like my place in society. I was really struggling to sort of like, why is this happening to me? Why did this, how did my father turn out the way he did? You know, I had to dig down, I had to look at history, I had to contextualize, you know, my life, because, I, because otherwise, you know, you can really, I can see there's a thin line between you and I and me, mm -hmm. and the experiences we had, and the paths we chose. I could have so easily, you know, I've done work in prisons and stuff, it's like, I look at these brothers and I said, I could so easily be you, right? if I wasn't empowered in some way to, to, to understand what happens to humanity, it's not, you know, we all lose when we behave this way. Sure. When any one set of people or any, any power structure undermines or, or devalues any other uh, part of sector of humanity, you know, you can, you can call it by the color of the skin or by religion or by sex, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you can cut any form of ism you like. Mm -hmm. But when any one set devalues any other set, everybody's losing, you know, yeah. it, creates, it creates conflict and, and violence in our society. And it's, like, it's, it's shocking and it's important we can look at it and, and try to figure out a way to heal this and develop a, a language around it. Sure. Now, growing up there, uh, being uh, in New Zealand, being of the same tribe, how much did her films and who she was uh, as that sort of cultural and artistic leader, how much did that mean to you? How much did that influence your decision to go into and become, you know, what you are today? It was huge because not only is she from my tribe, she's from a tiny little village. I'm like tiny little village. Mm. Like I don't know if there was one, maybe there was one shop in this village. Like wow. there was one place of trading in that village. A tiny village, like tiny. And right. it's like, and I first met her here in Beverly Hills and in Hollywood. Oh, wow. When okay. I was starting my career as an actor and I heard, oh, there's one of us living in Hollywood. I was like, okay. And when I came and met her, she had her children there and her mm. mother there looking after the children. And she was living as if she was at home and it blew my mind what do you mean like, when she was living as if she was at home how do you mean because she had her children and her mom was like she didn't change oh i see her integrity as a human being was intact she didn't come here and sort of like change herself she came here to change here mm -hmm. to change things that happened here and i was really inspired that i could still travel the world and be a part of this industry and a part of my ambitions to sort of succeed in in my chosen craft and art and uh, it didn't have to compromise my values and my integrity and I could come here fully as I am. Hmm. Now, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm going I'm to take a little bit of an aside right now. Mm -hmm. So she, uh, <laughs> what was the name of the gentleman she ended up, she ended up marrying with and settling down with the father of the guy? Who, Jeff Murphy. Jeff Murphy. So I'm doing research for this, right? And I'm like a film nerd and I start looking up films that Jeff Murphy made, right? Yeah. And then that's when it really comes full circle because Jeff Murphy directed Young Guns 2. <laughs> what? Have you seen Young Guns 2? Have you seen Young Guns 2? Thank you. Okay. Number one, uh, that's disrespectful that you haven't seen this movie. <laughs> Two reasons. Number one, Bon Jovi did a solo song uh, Blaze of Glory, the soundtrack to Young Guns 2. Do you guys remember this? this? is fantastic. This is one of my favorite movies growing up uh, as a youth. And like, it was like, I watched Young Guns 2 a million times. Shout out to Boss Argelli, a friend of mine who was in that movie. Um, but, and you just kind of start to see how, number one, it's a small world. And then number two, her life changed when she met him. Uh, and it kind of went in a different way. She stayed the same person that she was, but even when you when you watch the documentary, even her kids say, uh, things were different now. Now we were in New York, we were in LA, we were, it was more of a traditional Beverly Hollywood Hills, type, yeah, type of Vegas. thing. Vegas. And then she took the platform that she had 
She brought it to Sundance and empowered other filmmakers and Sundance. did all kinds of things like National Geographic, National Geographic, University of Hawaii. She, she like did all of the festivals and she worked with indigenous people from all around the world. From all around the world. All around the so, world. So, and I saw Native Americans uh, speak on her behalf when it was there, and out and it's and it's really interesting because I just I was reading a book by Chomsky and Chomsky was talking about hmm. the Native American uh, struggle here in North America, and he said something and these numbers are shocking. He says. Above the Rio Grande, um, at some point before the, United, the, the Europeans came to the United States, mm. there were around 15 to 20 million Native people living here. There's now around 150 or 200,000. Wow. When you think about what indigenous people have been through all over the world, right. I think it's super important to highlight, to celebrate um, and to revere the indigenous people such as Merida. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, who who have tried to put a, a spotlight on that. And when she, it wasn't just about her. The apartheid situation, I'm looking at this documentary, I ain't expect to see no black people. You know, I, <laughs> and then they're, and then they're, they're right there. So Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu. Yeah. Was in, was in the documentary as, as well. He, he, did he, did he, he he was speaking about her. Did he marry her as well? As well? No, no, no. no. He's just speaking about. He, I, the I saw him in the documentary because she was involved in like a, a documentary she was making about apartheid. Yeah, and it had this uh, resounding effect and uh, in South Africa, and it helped encourage him. And you know, and so Desmond Tutu, like, you know, this is a beautiful. She's a very beautiful. He did sort Nobel of response. Peace Prize winner. Yeah. Um. So. For you now, what do you feel like? How do you feel like you're going to continue uh, that work? Like, what do you what do you, what do you feel like is 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 your imperative? How have you been inspired to kind of pick up the ball and run with it? Well, I just think it's it's uh, making stories that are heartfelt and from my home is really important because if I don't tell them, then who's going to tell them? Yeah, who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? Yeah. And believing that those stories are going to resonate. With you. Right. You know, and yeah. we never met before. Never met before. Yeah. Although I feel like I've, I know you. Well, but it's, it's cool, right? So yeah. it's like I can make, we can make, we can make stories from, you know, our, our homeland yeah. that we, uh, that we love. And I'm, I've got a slate of pr projects and I've got a, a bunch of things that I'm developing and, and I've already got completed to roll out. You know, I've got TV shows and feature documentaries and feature films and TV series. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I'm just, I'm doing that thing. Doing that thing. Listen. Uh, a couple. I want to ask you about a couple of your personal roles. I have them um, highlighted here on this uh, page that I have. You play Jesus. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. You're the first guy I've ever known that's actually played yeah. the man, the guy. No, I'm very proud you of that. You played yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. What's it like to play Jesus, man? Uh, <laughs> well, surreal. Right. You know, I had like a crucifix of Jesus by my bed, like that I would pray to every night. Like yeah. I was like a seriously devout. Like yeah, my dad was concerned I was going to become a priest. Right. He like, was concerned. He was concerned. Yeah. Like, now, son. Right. Like, exactly. You don't have to take it that far. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what so, was, was? Is there? Is, do you prepare differently when you're playing a, a deity and you're like go like? Well, <laughs> Well, you know, it's like when they were, when they were lining, lining me up and said, do you want to play Jesus? I was like, are you sure? Have you looked at my resume? Are you kind of roles I play? <laughs> right. I was like, yeah. You go from Pablo Escobar to Jesus. So I was like, wow, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want, we want, to, we want, to, we want to sort of uh, portray Jesus as a man of, of this land. Because he hung out with like uh, carpenters and, and fishermen and, mm. you know, and, uh, and, you know, those, the tax collectors and like the people that nobody wanted to, that smelled. Yeah, they were like from the wrong side of the track, so mm -hmm. they wanted a Jesus that that could feel like he belonged in that world and right. sort of like that. And and then my personal take was like, a, I can't play Jesus. I'm not worthy of like playing Jesus. And right? Like, how am I going to do that? And so this specific movie was about the resurrection of Christ. And right. so I figured my take was, if you died and be crucified and be whipped and beaten and to death, right? Mm -hmm. And then you come back to life as like. How happy would you feel? <laughs> so, so that was my right, that so was my take. So you played the more happy relieved, Jesus. happy I'm Jesus. I'm so happy, right? Right, because right. you were gone, but you're back like, now. You, you want to catch up, bro? Yeah. Like, let's like, hang out. Let's have some to eat. Let's, right. let's talk about things. I've got a few philosophies I want to like share with you. It's like I'm so happy. I feel, you know, there's what? life after death. We don't get enough of happy Jesus. Well, man. that's what I thought. 
It's true. Like, we don't get enough happy Jesus. The Jesus we get is either Jesus going through some stuff because he went through some stuff or resolute, determined Jesus. We don't ever just get happy Jesus. Yeah, I just thought that was my take. So like, I was like, I thought maybe that was something. And, and from a place of love, you know, it's like opening your heart and being happy instead of saying there's more to life. Right. Like, yeah. So that was kind of my contribution to my, my interpretation of Jesus. Yeah, so. it, it worked. You know what? Thank you. Uh, yeah. Do you know when I realized that you were from New Zealand? No, I don't about know. six days ago. What? Yeah. It, how do you? How do you? I, like, listen. You've been in a lot of dog. <laughs> like, 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 you've been in a lot of different movies, and the, the internet doesn't really have a, a grasp of your ethnicity. Like, it, like you, like you, you. All of these roles that you got the blow, the training day situation. Of course, I saw Well Rider, which. It's a sensational movie. If you guys haven't, I know there was a big deal when it came out, but go back and watch this. Live Free or Die Hard. I remember that. I don't think in Live Free or Die Hard that they knew which ethnicity was you were because the name of the character is Miguel Bowman. So they thought that you were maybe Hispanic, but then maybe whatever. It's like, they don't know. They don't have uh, no clue. I like they're very kind to me here in Hollywood. They, <laughs> it's like... It's like they kind of like figure, you know, with with like ethnic representation and mm -hmm. stuff. The casting, I got, I, I, my, ch me and my children are a huge, uh, you know, gratitude to the casting directors who are like going, wow, this is like, you know, he's ethnic. Can we just <laughs> leave it with that? And the directors and the producers and the writers like going, all right, we'll just go with like ambiguously ethnic. So all right, right. I'm lucky, yeah. And a lot of these are huge movies, Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. That's coming out pretty soon. Yeah. Everybody's super excited about that. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it like? Like, the, is it like, what's the difference for you between doing a film that's super very personal to you, like some of the ones you've talked about, and doing a film where it's a gigantic thing, like Hobbs and Shaw or Avatar sequels? Like, how do you, do you prepare differently as an actor? Is there a different feel to the, like, what's the difference in that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you got to come and... You know, you got to come in and it's a massive machine. Mm -hmm. So you got to just be very professional and you, you're kind of like a, a cog in the works. Mm. You know? So it's like you just come in, hit your marks. So like you're just trying to help uh, the director. You're trying to help production. You're trying to help. Like usually there's a massive movie star like, you know, Dwayne. Yeah. And we're playing siblings and that. So it's like. Oh, you, you, play, you play his brother mm, in that. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. By the, by the way. So you play his brother in that movie. Mm -hmm. You know that The Rock is black. Shout out to my brother. That's what I'm talking <laughs> I about. I made it. Cliff. You made I it. I made it. You finally made it. <laughs> the Rock is black. So we here. So you've done all of them then. You've done every single. Man, give it up for Cliff Curtis, man. Finally got his role as a brother playing, his, uh, playing uh, Dwayne's brother. So in that, you just try to go in there and just basically not fuck up the whole production basically. yeah man they're just <laughs> they're like you know it's like a huge multi-hundred million dollar mm -hmm. machine so you just like try not to bump into the furniture just be polite and get in get out be professional yeah i feel you i have a new zealand story for you so uh like 2011 or something like that my brother calls me up and he goes yo you want to go to new zealand and i was like not really and then he said, and then he said, because at that point I wasn't flying. And if you don't, I was very afraid to fly. So if you don't want to fly, yeah, you don't the flight to New Zealand, Zealand is about the last thing that you want to do. Yeah. And he goes, um, I'm going to New Zealand. And I said, why? Why are you going? Not that it's not a beautiful place. Yeah. But no, it's just yeah. a. Like, if what? You, why? I'm like, I'm like, why are yeah, you going to New I'm Zealand? I'm curious. I want to know why. Do you know why? No, I don't know why. He why? wanted to hang out at the Shire. The Shire. Oh, wow. <laughs> He wanted to do that. Well, my brother wanted to well, go hey, down uh, and see the Hobbiton. Shire. He wants to be a hobbit. He's six foot six. What? He wants to, he want, want, wants to be a hobbit. Wanted to go down. And he, he told me, I'm going to ask you, that New Zealand is the most beautiful place he's ever seen. It is. It's gorgeous. Point blank. Yeah. Most beautiful place in the world. It is. You've been all over the place, but been home is the most beautiful place. place. Huh? Home is the most beautiful place for you. Yeah, no, yeah. but you know, it's like what it is is it has all of these things with these two small islands, but it doesn't matter which direction you go, you've got you've got all these different landscapes. It's, it's it's unbelievable, really. Yeah, he was telling me he was like, "There's it's lush, but then there are great beaches and all of that stuff like that." Yeah, and down down south you got fjords and snow and you know. And it snows in New Zealand. Down the bottom, yeah. What? And up in the mountain, you've got mountain ranges and you've got subtropical up the top, and you've got everything in between. Wow. You got rainforests. You got. Get it's, it. it's gorgeous. Look, you really love, like, listen, man, you're not one of these. You know what? I, I fuck with you, Cliff. You're not one of these guys that 
has left home and like turned you like you. I could tell your love of New Zealand as you were talking about it right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I think actually some parts of California, Northern California are, are highly underrated. They're oh. just as gorgeous, I think, as New Zealand. Like Sacramento. Just, Okay, like saying, yeah, okay, if you say so. Don't go along with that one. All right. Everybody just laughed. <laughs> right look, how, look at she laughing. She's like, <laughs> I was thinking like, like Seattle. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. All right, like, like not so much, but he's like, he's a nice guy. Anybody. He doesn't want to offend the people down there. So first of all, Sacramento, lovely place. They tried to poison Kobe back in the day. I'll never forget it. So, um, so uh, like, Sacramento, uh, Sacramento uh, not, but no, uh, New Zealand, the reason why I asked that is because um, you could. I feel like even though this movie wasn't specifically about New Zealand, I feel like I have a better sense of it's about more of the happenings and relationships between people. I feel like I have a much better understanding of the culture there than I did before. Um, and it wasn't even so much about uh, struggle and pain and strife. It's just when you see human beings in their own element and hear them describe their circumstances and what they're going through, it's much better than pictures. Like, I always looked at New Zealand as a place where they made the Lord, of the Lord of the Rings movies. They had some sheep, stuff like that. But it's a real place with real people. Like, for people that aren't, that don't know much about the tribes and sort of the indigenous people there, yeah. how could you make them understand sort of what it's like? I don't know. Just, you got to come down and see, really, I guess. Really? I, I don't know. Um... If I come down, are you gonna are you like are you gonna share the? If I come down there, if I come to New Zealand, if I finally get on the plane, are you gonna share the culture with me? Because we could do a cultural trade off now that I know that you're black. We could like like I could teach you how to do in the Sacramento. In Sacramento, right? I could teach you how to do the Sacramento style. Uh huh. You could teach me how to do the haka. Ooh, wow! You want to do the haka? I want to. You want to do that? At, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I can. My G. Nothing fucking looks cooler than the haka, man. Oh, okay. We can. We can. We can work. You know that the haka? Out. Yeah. Yeah. What? Tell. Tell it. Like, explain the haka, because like, uh, I, we had a lady that I used to work at a place called Capricorn Programs. What's that? It was a. <laughs> so when I first <laughs> got to Los Angeles, I sold a screenplay, and then. All right. Congratulations. You, you sold a screenplay. Excuse me. I optioned it. Right. All right. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. So I optioned the screenplay. I come out here, and everything happens, and I'm gonna be the next big thing. And then after that, fucking nothing happens. Okay. Good. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's gone. Everybody's out of here. But uh, I, so I had to work. I found work at this little clip show yeah. place, production house over in Burbank, where mm -hmm. we made these small little yeah. shows, and I was writing, producing these shows. Cool. And a lady came over uh, from England. Her name was Catherine, mm -hmm. and she was telling me about this ridiculously good rugby player. She says there's this guy. Jonah Loman. Yes. Yeah. See what I'm saying? No, Bobby now. Now the fucking podcast is going. Jonah's like a god. Right. Yeah. Jo Jonah. Okay. Yeah. Now John wants Jonah Loman. Now yeah. John. Now, now, okay. Now you don't know nothing about Young Guns too, but we start talking about, <laughs> no, we start talking about rugby and now you're a fucking rugby expert. So I get it. That's cool. Chill. Till... Cliff or I comes back to you again. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so she's talking to me about this guy, and she's she's telling having me look at different um, uh, videos of him, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. Then uh, she tells me about the haka. Mm -hmm. She says they do this really intimidating sort of tribal dance. It's a war. A war. War. Before, and I'm like, yo, listen, I play sports my whole <clears> life. <throat> if I'm standing on the field with somebody, and they walk over and start dancing, we're not gonna be intimidated. Then I look at the guys who do the haka, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't feel like I would compete against those guys after they were doing that. They look like like really out there. So what like we've seen it is in popular culture now. Jason Momoa did it at his premiere and and, and things like that. Now people know it. Like and Dwayne's doing that. Dwayne Hobbs and Shaw. Dwayne does it and Hobbs and Shaw. Like, just tell me about it. Like what what like what are the origins of it? Like when do you learn it? Like. It's a question that we we we, we want to know. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, in our traditions, it belongs. We had a lot of traditions mm -hmm. in, in the past, you know, and and my ancestors and stuff. So, 
Haka is sort of really a preparation to go to war. Really, that's kind of a, a kind of a chant and a mm. and sort of a process to sort of prepare you to uh, you know face death and face battle. Wow. Um, I think lots of cultures have got that kind of thing. So that's they, really they do. That's really where it comes from. Yeah. And then you know when we we in peaceful times, it's like it became uh, something that. Uh, it became almost like a, an entertainment thing, like because people love the the intensity. I think it's the intensity of it that people it love. Looks, yeah, it looks intense. The passion, yeah, yeah, the passion and the intensity, mm -hmm. and it's just sort of that unite as a as a people, and you're going to overcome uh, any obstacle that's in your way, and that's kind of what a haka is. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what the what the equivalent is. There is no equivalent. Well, I mean, not the equivalent. Yeah. I don't want to look. Did you see how high is no I'm trying to think of like cheerleaders, maybe. Cheerleaders, yeah. But no. I'm trying to think of like back in Baton Rouge if we have something that we do. Oh, good. Like I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm trying to think if there is something, you know, because we. I don't know if you know, but my people, we dance. Oh yeah, no, yeah, you dance good. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> you like that? Dance huh? good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, we did. I'm trying to think of. I, I did a couple of movies down in in, in New Orleans, which oh, is not Baton do? Rouge. I did a thing called Runaway Jury. Wow, I we shot that. down there. Yeah, that was and, with uh, 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 Dustin Hoffman yeah. and Gene Hackman. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and then I also did a film. Uh, part we partly shot down there on Colombiana with Zoe Saldana. Yeah, that's why yeah. she was like looking for the people who killed her parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, she was. She was. She was. She was all right in that one. I like. I like you, Zoe. Zoe looked great <laughs> in Colombiana. <laughs> Um, what did you think about my culture? You were down there. You were down there in South Louisiana. What did you think about 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 things down there? I, I mean, I mean, I was. Uh, it was not like the rest of the U.S., uh -huh. which was a good in a good way. Uh -huh. You know, there was this, like this texture and this richness there. I was shocked by the poverty. Yeah. To be honest, you know, and sort of like the sure. segregation between the haves and the have-nots was quite intense. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, it's the, it's that's the home of blues, right? And um, home of jazz, yep. jazz, mm -hmm. jazz. And so when when I grew up, uh, because all of the content that we have in entertainment that came over from America, you know, um, on our television, our radio, and stuff was dominated by American culture, and so. You know, the closest thing that looked like us is like colored people from America. So this mm. weird thing happens is that we project onto ourselves like, you know, that Jimi Hendrix looks like my cousin. Yeah. You know, and like Muhammad Ali is like, he looks like my uncle. All right. So I was like, we black. It, bro. That's what I'm, I'm. I'm. That's what I'm trying to get. That's Have a the, look at Merita, and you like, tell me, is that, bro? So like, we feel she that like, way, bro. She looked. You know, now that this, this Pandora's box is open, we can discuss <laughs> this. I'm looking at her, and I'm like, God damn, she looks like my dad's sister. It's crazy. Yeah, like, it's, no, it's like true. My aunt. Yeah. Like, yeah, like and yeah. So, so, so in my mind, I don't, can't tell for everybody back on foot. So in my mind, when I grew up, when I first came to America, I thought I was black. You are black, my brother. And, and I realized, it's like, you ain't black. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? It's like, that happened. But I thought I was. You know, that, that, like, you know. That, like, I was actually, so I was watching. Bob Marley. Bob Marley looks Bob like. Bob Marley looks it, it, like, exactly. It's the same it's thing. Like, I was watching Crocodile Dundee 2. And it was, I don't know if you guys seen Crocodile Dundee 2. Crocodile Dundee 2, uh, it's a very believable premise. Crocodile Dundee fights Brazilian drug lords in the Australian outback. That happens all the time. You got to think about the number two there. It's like, I like not sequels. Not Crocodile Dundee, but Crocodile Day 2. I like sequels. Right, yeah, okay. Clip, good. I like a good all sequel. All right, all right. Okay, because remember now, Crocodile Dundee, and I'll remember how, how, kind of how these movies came out. Crocodile Dundee comes out, my mother and my grandmother are going crazy. They really love Paul Hogan. My grandmother has a unhealthy obsession with Paul Hogan. She oh, keeps wow. asking me, she's like, man, you've been living in LA for a long time. Have you run into Paul Hogan? I'm like, Momo, <laughs> chill. Nobody's seen Paul Hogan in a while. He's living his life. So Crocodile Dundee 2, they go back to the outback, and they are Aboriginal people there. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm a kid, I'm not aware of anything in the world except for the fact that there are white people and then there are black people. Right. Yeah. So when I look at the Aboriginal people there, I go, oh, they black. Those are the black people. And that made Crocodile Dundee all the more cooler to me oh. because they were his friends. So in that, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, Mick Dundee from the hood. This makes sense. Why he can beat all of these people and why he can adapt to any situation because he's been through it all. Um, now, we're laughing about that, but there's not only a kinship in sort of skin tone, but there's this kinship 
an experience that we've sort of discussed that sort right. of the documentary centers around. So, did, so, then, growing, so then, growing up, yeah. seriously, growing up, did you like, did you, you felt black then is what you're kind of saying to a degree? Well, well in relationship to like entertainment and everything, that's the closest thing that I could relate to in terms of like what I saw in television and film and stuff like to identify with us. Right. Because there's, there was a, there was a lot, large push for us to seg, to, to be homogenized and to be all be one nation and, mm -hmm. you know, and sort of like, and there was a big push from my pre my father's generation to forget our language and to fit out, forget our customs and wow. to like assimilate Why and do they integrate. want you to forget who you were? And where you assimilate and integrate. That was a big push. And, and there was a, a big sort of like sense of, um, but it was a real contradiction. Mm -hmm. At the same time, my dad's name was Hori, uh -huh. which is or it was just similar to the, the name Jorge in yeah. Spanish, which means George. But it's kind of like a derogatory term. Do you feel like now in New Zealand, that these sort of cultural imperatives, do people, do the indigenous people in, in New Zealand now, which, which part of it did they sort of uh, align themselves with? Do you feel like they're assimilating? Or do you feel like there was actually people, people are now? Well, because of people like Merita, right? That's what I'm saying. Because of yeah. people like Merita, and there, I had other heroes in my life who were a part of the reclamation of our culture and identity. Mm -hmm. And so our language, the, riv the riv revivification of our language, of our cu custom and cultures, of our arts, and uh, so now, you know, I identify with being Maori. So, yeah. Right. You know, that's happening everywhere. I don't know that. Yeah. What's happening everywhere is that um, whereas I think that even some of our parents, that was very important to them that we grew up and found a way to hold on to mainstream culture, American values or mainstream values, wherever we were. I think now we're at the point to where what makes you you is really the most important part of you. I think that that's starting to be celebrated and that's starting to become uh, paramount to people. Because even when you hear about like well, you, you, you work in Hollywood, every year or two years or twice a year in Hollywood, there's some whitewashing scandal, right? Where they're going to make a movie and this is not to diss any of these guys. These guys are all fine performers where they're going to make a movie. Uh, I remember they were doing Exodus, Gods right, and Kings. Right, yeah, yeah. And they were doing these movies and they're, they're not casting these movies with people uh, that are reflective of the people who have actually been there. Right, it's like doing Cleopatra. Right, so doing Cleopatra, and, you, like, and so, like and, and now I think people are accessing their culture and looking at their culture and 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 wanting seeing their culture reflected up there uh, in a different way. They want the true nuts and bolts of who they are, and they don't want to assimilate. They don't. There's no. There's no percentage in assimilating. There's no virtue in assimilating. Now I think. Accessing that cultural power is, 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 is more prevalent than it's ever been before. Um, and I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that it's a good thing. Was now, was there ever a part of you that did feel that pressure to do that, though? Was, was yeah, it, of course there was. You struggled you know, with it, like, like around yeah, what point? Man. I mean, it's like, uh, but it was, it wasn't, I didn't struggle with it. That's how it was. Mm. There was no struggle. I got the struggle when I just, when I was when I, um, you know, when we started to revive our language and there was this conflict, it's like, what, that's, a, that's an option, that's a choice? Revive your language, what do you mean? Well, our language, the things like the haka and things like that. Oh, so were, that was, there was actually a movement at some point to bring those things back to... to, 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 to yeah, because they were almost sort of obliterated. And wow. We almost l entirely lost our language and customs and yeah. they, were, they were like on, on the verge of like vanishing from the face of the earth. So there's a huge revival in our country of those customs. And, and now it's become a huge... It's become a really important part of our nation, and I think a lot of our, our nation, whether whatever color skin, whatever heritage you got, are very proud of the things like the haka and mm -hmm. and the, and the, and you know that we have this unique identity. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it, interesting. Um, as a black man, there is a beautiful, uh, rich, amazing, um, really sort of. Uh, necessary culture that I'm a part of. When I say necessary, I mean America and America without the influence, the work, um, and to some degree the pain of black Americans. But then there's a whole other culture that I can't really access and couldn't even if I wanted to. What's that? The culture that was stolen from us before we got here. Slavery cut us off from a lot of that. So we don't know it. Yeah, it's tough. So when I hear about someone saying that they fought to keep uh, their culture prevalent relevant and a part of their everyday life i think about what a amazing decision to have and what amazing decision to make and how awesome it must feel and how awesome it must be for people to be like that part of it we're not going to lose ourselves 
we're going to continue to be ourselves and we don't have to be we don't have to take any losses in order to do that uh how do you feel like that happened like what, what, what at what point do you, did people go wait 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 we're losing ourselves let's kind of roll it back and, and, and grab it back i think it's when a system becomes unsustainable i think the cracks start to show i think you know you know, at a, at a point in history, sort of, uh, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a historically, you know, there was this force of humanity that sort of like crossed the ocean and looked to dominate the glo global domination. Sort of this, this whole idea of colonization took place, and mm -hmm. and they went out and they very successfully colonized the world. You know, yeah. and I think then they installed their legal systems, their economic systems, their their religious systems. They installed all of these, all of these things in all of these nations, as far as New Zealand. You mm -hmm. know. Um, and and then a couple of takes a couple of centuries and then the cracks start to show because if you oppress and you dominate uh, and you and you and you you have to break the will of a people so they will subjugate themselves and devalue themselves for the better good of the nation right and then there's a cost to that because all of a sudden it's like oh wow what are we going to do all of these people mm. that we enslaved and we captured and we broke the spirit and we separated them from their culture and identity as like We've got a mass population that is growing and outgrowing us. And I think that's when, when economically and spiritually and socially, the, you know, the, the vision that they had, it starts to break down and it's got to do something about it. And they know they don't have the answers and we know it's not working for us. And we just have to reclaim those things. We have to reclaim our identity. We have to reclaim our stories. We have to tell our own stories mm. to each other. Yes. Because otherwise they're telling us who we are and we, we got to define that for ourselves. And it's in that process. And that's why Metis is such a hero to me because she's so courageous and so vocal and so pr practically minded. She just went and helped people to tell their own stories. And I think that's a much healthier way to be, you know. I couldn't agree more. No one can tell your story better than you can. No one can tell it more authentically and no one can inspire. And, we're, and really, you know, it's funny. We say tell our stories. But we're all telling the same stories, just in our context, right? Right. We're exactly. Telling, we're telling we're telling struggles of overcoming, struggles exactly. Of triumph. Yes. Struggles of loss. Yes. But we're telling them in different languages with different shades, and you just want to be able to tell them as authentic as possible. Yeah, and everybody can relate to that. Everybody yeah. can relate to a mother who loves her children and wants to do the best by her children, but she sees injustices in her society, mm -hmm. and she can't feel right about putting her children, raising exactly them in a society where they're not safe. Yep. She said that. She said. <laughs> she said that she felt like she had to I don't, I don't, I'm trying not to give too much away from but any but any mother can relate to that right. I don't care what sector of society you can't you're from mm -hmm. you know women that are courageous and have the love for the children in mind and their grandchildren are gonna stand on the front line for a better world it's like you know I've I've tried to come up with a, a phrase that sort of encapsulates what the movie is about and to me I've come up with this idea that a mother's love can change the world mm. You know, yeah. and I think that's really at the heart of the documentary what it's really about. Yeah. You beef with Australians? Hmm. Let's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. This is Red Hill. We asked the relevant questions. Like, is there, this thing that we hear about our Kiwis versus Australians, is it real? Do you beef with Australians? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I try not. It? I try not to take it too seriously. What, like, what's what's the? Let's say it's a friendly competition because I'm from Louisiana, right? And mm. I said this before. I say it five times uh, every podcast, but I'm proud to be where I'm from. You know who we beef with? Who? Mississippi. Yeah. But really, we should be happy for Mississippi because if it wasn't for Mississippi, we would be last in everything. Mississippi's <laughs> there. So that they can be last in literacy and all of that stuff like that. Shout out to Mississippi. They're holding us down. But, um, like, what's the, what's the thing kind of between New Zealand and Russia? Because you got to, to be honest with you right now, you're carrying the, not, you're carrying the, the ball for actors and stuff like that from New Zealand. But you got a lot of competition in Australia, man. You got the Hemsworths out there making trouble. You got, there's a lot of, you got... <laughs> It's a friendly rivalry because the Hemsworth is having hang with my brother Taika, who's oh, a Maori brother from New Zealand, and is directing him in Thor Ragnarok. Wow! So Guess what? The Thor movies were good. They were good movies. I liked them, but then a Kiwi came into play. Maori. A, Ma a Maori. Yeah. And then the Thor movies became great. So what you're saying is, you kind of <laughs> one up the fucking Australians a little bit, yeah? Because you got because. Come on. Ah, you know. Yeah. 
yeah but what, what, what is there a cultural thing it's like a their thing like a little yeah I don't know what, I mean I could like point at a few things but um, it's not I think, serious though right there is, uh, there is, there is, but I, I don't ever want to color with it, color, yeah. color our conversation with it. But you know, on the lighter side, that's just sort of healthy competition. It is. It's like they, they, the, the, it's a bigger country, and it's like you know, three. It's like about four or five times the population of our nation, mm -hmm. and it's like you know, when we beat them at sports and stuff, it's very satisfying. Yeah, like rugby, for example. But dude, like. they can't. There, you, you guys are much better than them in rugby, right? We're the greatest, yeah. Yeah, you guys are the greatest. Yeah. Did, you, did you play any rugby coming up? Yeah, you couldn't be born in my country and not play rugby. You have to play rugby. You have to, yeah. It's like, you have to play rugby. Yes. So were you any good at rugby? Yeah, I was, I was, I was pretty good. I pretty was all solid. right. I was, I was, I was, yeah, I yeah. had the right attitude. Like, what is rugby? It's the closest American football. It's, I know. It's, it's like, like that without the helmets and the pads. and it, like. It's weird, though, because when you meet a rugby guy, mm. like I play football, right? Yeah. When you meet a rugby guy, like I remember I was on a movie set one time and a rugby guy was telling me, how much of a wuss I was for doing all of that stuff with the pads on. Yeah, and the helmets. And, and, then, yeah. and, and then you watch rugby, and you motherfuckers are insane. You think I'm going to do that? <laughs> like, like, I, like, I, like, like, I'm a, like I, play, I would play a football game, and then there was a dance after. So I can't go in a dance clip with no fucking teeth. You know what I'm saying? Why like, not? It doesn't work that way here. It's like, fine. Like, like, no, I'm sure. You don't need no teeth I'm sure, to dance. I'm sure in, in your culture, you go, <laughs> the guy missing the most teeth was the toughest rugby That's guy. That's right. Probably. Not where I'm from. And no, he is. Right, exactly. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Where I'm from, the person missing the most teeth is the person doing the most crack. So I don't want to be. <laughs> so uh, so I don't want to be confused with that. But like, but 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 rugby. Just I, I know you got to go, but I just want to ask you: Is there some kind of way we can get you guys to wear some pads in the rugby situation, or mm, you don't need them? No, no, that's not right. That's not right. Wearing pads is not right. No. Okay, no. I'm gonna send you some. I'm gonna get you. Don't email do that from the people at Array. I'm gonna send you some. Um, some literature on this thing called CTE. Yeah, I'm familiar. You're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. It's a big, it's a big issue back home too. Yeah. Is it in the rugby situation? Yeah, yeah. It's a big, it's a big cultural kind of like. It's like, oh man, it's like, yeah. Mm. Mm. Listen, I want to thank you for something. I want to thank What's you. That? I want to thank, thank you. I want to, I want to thank the people that are. I want to thank everyone who put me in front of this documentary. And I'm being sincere here. I'll tell thank you, why. you. First of all. Ava's drowning me in, con in content. Like, <laughs> I watched it. Like, like, like Ava, Ava, a like. If Ava some, sends it, you got to watch it. They, look, I'll do whatever Ava says. Like, I'll do oh, whatever they yeah. say. Right, whatever they say. But, but they, they're three for three. I, uh, I saw uh, The Burr of Kojo by yep. Blitz. <laughs> Blitz is stupid talented. Yeah. It was ridiculous how well made the movie was and how interesting he was. Of course, I just recently saw uh, When They See Us, which will be out pretty soon, um, the Central Park Five movie that they that did for Netflix. Uh, I don't even want to discuss that. It broke me up too much. And then I sat down and was introduced and acquainted with someone who opened my eyes to somebody else's plight. And I think that human beings connect best when we understand what each other are, when we're going through. Yeah. Uh, and I really got a sense of someone who dedicated their life to um, trying to make sense of the world. Mm. And on that level, I think that this documentary really shines. Thank you. And I'm very, very happy that you guys made it and that I got to be a part of it. Um, last question I'll ask you. Mm -hmm. I need you mm. to give us a point-by-point point explanation of what Avatar two and three are about. Go. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that you're not going to be uh, breaking any contractual obligations or anything like that. Um, but I, I find it hard to believe that it takes 11 years to make a sequel to a movie like we've been waiting for a long time for these Avatar sequels. Are, are they actually coming out? Can I hear those numbers again? What, what were the numbers that you wanted to hear about? Which numbers? Uh, Avatar. Which numbers? I want exactly. Plot points. I want to know exactly what these movies about. Avatar two and three. <clears throat> Don't okay, try to change something. Here's Totowari. <laughs> That's you. That's me. Like what? What happens in the movie? We want to know. Mm, yeah, it's really good. It's a great movie. It's an amazing. Look, I'm telling you, it's like I think James Cameron's. I know James is 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 a genius. Right. And he's uh, and he's. I think it's like taking movies to like a shaman-like state. But he is actually telling the story of humanity and, and some of these issues around colonization and what we do to each other. 
And I think that's yeah. at the core of what he does. And I think it's in the, in the first Avatar. Oh, it was, very a, it was a story yeah. about the fight of an indigenous people to hold on to what they were. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, and it's like, and then we discover that there's more than one set of indigenous people on the on this planet of Pandora. And, and it's happening all over. And, and it's like, and he's, and he's really trying to um, make a parable of this for, for humanity to, to grow. I think hopefully spiritually and sort of see the craziness that we're creating when we when we don't treat each other with respect. Yeah. 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 Uh, everybody give it up for Cliff Curtis. All right. Give it up for Cliff Curtis. This was fantastic. We didn't even get to go uh, into some of his other roles. In The Majestic, he played the evil but handsome Prince Khalid. Uh, <laughs> he was a pizza delivery man in Heinous Crime. That was a step backwards. I'm not sure. You maybe talk to your agent about that one. Um, <laughs> but The Last Airbender. By Lord Ozai. Yeah. Yeah. We're friends now, aren't we? Yeah. I hope we continue yeah, to be you friends. Yeah, you can be straight. Yeah, it's yeah okay. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to send you a review. I, it I might show me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yo, go. Oh, by the way, Rapa Nui, I saw this. You did? Isai Morales. Yeah. Isai Morales. Isai Morales. Jason Lee as well? Jason Scott Lee. Jason Scott Lee. He played. Uh, He's Bruce. coming out in Mulan next. Really? Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen him in a while. Yeah. He played. He played. I got in a fight over Jason Scott Lee. What? Because what did you think of his Bruce Lee? Okay, I loved it. Good. And so when I saw Jason Scott Lee uh, as Bruce Lee, my brother said, "Did you know that Bruce Lee's son?" I hate when people do shit like this. <laughs> I fucking hate when people do shit like this. He was like, "Did you know that Bruce Lee's son played him in the movie?" And I was like, "He didn't. No, he didn't, he didn't. play him. Yeah. It's an Brandon. actor. Has like is a great actor. Dude wasn't Bruce Lee's son." And he goes, "No, it was Bruce Lee's son." And I'm like, no, it wasn't Bruce Lee's son. I know this for a fact because when I saw that, I went to go find out if it was Bruce Lee's son. And in this write-up right here, it says very clearly it wasn't Bruce Lee's son. It wasn't Bruce Lee's son. You know what my brother did? What did he do? Punch me dead in my face. Oh, wow. That's steep. Punch me and then what? And then what did you do? I punched him back. Good. Okay. And then I so. punched him back, and then we were going. And my mother comes home. <laughs> And we have torn the living room And this up. is when you were like, what, 35? <laughs> 35. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, was, I think I was, I was 11 or 12. My brother was like 16. My mother comes home and she goes, <laughs> the, the living room is destroyed. Like, it's destroyed. My mother comes home and she goes, what were y'all fighting about? And I went, yo, bust this. He said that that was Bruce Lee's son that was in Dragon. And my mom looks at me and she goes, you two are insane. My boys are crazy. And she goes in the room and she cries. She couldn't believe we were fighting over that. It's oh. not the last time I did Breaking your mother's heart. All right. We out. All right. White people, uh, clap for Cliff. Uh, okay. Clap for Cliff. He's going to teach me how to do the haka. And then we're going to start busting at the club. That's the next step for the haka is going to the club. <laughs>